Hey, Graham, you're under a blanket. Well, it's very cold up here in this state that I'm in currently, but we'll get oh, to that in a minute. Yeah. Okay. I've right. got a joke for you. Oh, right, 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 right. Sorry. How do you mend a Halloween costume? Oh, uh, something about seams. And so, what is it? What's the answer? You use a pumpkin patch. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's good. Sometimes the most satisfying jokes are the ones that are in a way the, like obvious, right? Like you think about it, you think, well, yeah, I should have got that. That's, that's so smart. And I, I never would have got it. It's, it's not that deep, David. Just give it a rating. Uh, seven. Oh, awesome. Didn't, that's great. Cause I made that one up all by myself without any help from my son. What's whatever. Uh, is that part of the joke or no? Wait, what's your joke? Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, hey, uh, Graham, what do you call a retired old cowboy? Why? Well, it's always cowboys or pirates. Always my cow- it's cowboys my cowboy. or pirates. It, you're noticing a trend here. It's cowboy season for me. All right. Uh, uh, what do you call a retired old, old cowboy? cowboy. Uh, what? Deranged. Deranged. Yep. Deranged. Deranged. Uh, I like that. I don't think it's as good as mine. Uh, Well, I didn't. You know what? It's not a. It's not a competition. Wait. Yeah, it is. I think it is a competition. It is. You're right. uh, It is. You get a five. Uh, All right, that's fine. Yeah, you know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show. It's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And I'm Graham Pittman. And we are not in the same room no, this week. We are not in the same we, town. We're not in the same state. We are not in the same country. Wait. We're not? No, Wait, we, yeah, are. No, we, we are. are. We are. We took, are. Taking it too far once again. But uh, close. one step too far. We're close to not in the same country. That's true. Because I'm close to Mexico. <laughs> no, because you are in Wisconsin, which is close to, to Canada. I, you know, yeah. Wisconsin is a place that uh, matters a lot to me because I have family that lives there still. Uh-huh. You have family that lives there still. Yes. That's why you're there. And I have family and, that is here right now that is visiting family that lives here still. I think I got all of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, so today we are not in the same room for this episode. So we're going to be sh- not sharing snacks. We're going to be eating separate snacks. Separate snacks. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. This week we have a really good show because our guest is an author named Alan Gratz. He writes um, all kinds of books. Uh, primarily though, his focus is on historical fiction. I know a lot of you who are listening have have read his books and he was a a blast to talk to. He was a uh, a hoot, a hoot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was funny and and he it was a great time. So we talked for quite a while with him. So we're going to get to that in a little bit. Of course, at the end of the show, we are going to give you the answer to last week's riddle and provide you with um, an uh, an enlightening and inspiring new riddle. Of course, um, I know that when I give that riddle, Graham is going to say, "Well, that was enlightening and inspiring." Before that, hmm. though, we've got to do we've got to do a lot of stuff because we, of course, have story time. <laughs> and lazy words and uh first of course we're gonna do snack times before we get to snacks though graham but tree street kids oh yes the tree street kids yeah they're sponsoring this episode of withy before you do the ad yes i want to guess 
the four names. You've said them twice, the four street names. Yes. See okay. if I can get these right. Okay. Okay. Let's so one it. of the kids lives on Maple. I remember that. Correct. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, pine. Ding, 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 ding. Cherry. Ding, 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 ding. Uh oh. Okay. The fourth. Hold on. Uh, we give me a hint. It's not pear. Remember that it's, it's not, not pear, pear or apple. Uh, <laughs> it's not beach. Um, walnut. <laughs> is it walnut? Is that your final answer? Yeah. It's, yeah. Maple. I said maple. I mean, oak. <laughs> <laughs> oh i mean oak the most obvious of all the trees right mm. so the tree street kids live on the streets cherry oak maple and pine in their 1990s suburban neighborhood which on the surface seems like it's quiet and tree-lined and turns out that maybe it's a little more than that mm. the characters are jack ellison roger ruthie and midge and throughout these books they face challenges and find adventures in every creek and cul-de-sac the author of these books is Amanda Cleary Estep, and the two books that are currently new are Lions to the Rescue, which is book three, and book four, which is called Mystery in Crooked Creek Woods. You can learn more about both of these books by going to treestreetkids.com. In book three, which is, as I said, Lions to the Rescue, uh, the, the, the premise goes like this, Graham. If getting tackled is the way to make new friends, that's okay with Jack. After all, starting fifth grade at a new school is even rougher than peewee football. But how can he join the Lions and help Ellison build the most epic bookmobile bike ever? Jack devises the perfect game plan until he fumbles it with the most epic fail ever in a game day disaster. So that's book three. That sounds like, uh, you know, Jack's got some stuff to work through there. And then in book four, Mystery in Crooked Creek Woods, something fishy is going on in Crooked Creek Woods, which makes sense because it's called Mystery in Crooked Creek Woods. It's not... Mm -hmm. It could have been called something fishy in Crooked Creek Woods, but then that might be a little confusing. Yes. The question is, does it have anything to do with the weird lights coming from Ruthie's neighbor's yard? And let me tell you, nothing weird ever comes from weird lights in your neighbor's yard. It's just, that would never happen. So maybe it's just the kids' imaginations running away with them. After all, Jack and Ellison have been hard at work writing their own mystery story. The Tree Street kids decide to investigate. Not only do they discover what's been hidden for centuries in the woods... They learn about placing their trust in the adults who love and care for them, but not before placing themselves in a little bit of peril as well. So if you want to read these books, head over to treestreetkids.com. Thanks so much to their publisher and Amanda Eastep, the author, for helping make Withy Windle happen this week. Okay, I'm going to tell you something and you're going to think I'm making it up, um, but I'm not okay. making this up. <laughs> okay. I am in Wisconsin. Today, I right. went to a, a number of parks. I went. Um, you know, ate some good food, went to some used bookstores uh, that are not Goldberry books because unfortunately Goldberry books is, is did not travel with me to Wisconsin. So I had to go to some other bookstores. Um, so inside this used bookstore, I was man, the, lazy word there <laughs> inside this used bookstore. I was looking in the children's and young adult section, finding some really cool stuff. And I heard in this section, mom, do you think they have the tree street kids here? For real? Yes, for real. Was this your son talking to your wife? It was not. <laughs> so pretty, That's pretty cool. amazing. Pretty cool. Nice. Out in the wild. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it was a used bookstore. And I, I don't think I don't think they did find the Tree Street Kids because nobody's sending their copies to the used bookstore. Keep well, and I was just going to say, like the books three and four aren't new enough to be even be have a lot of used yeah. copies out there, even if someone was going to get rid of it. So, you know what you should have told that that kid? You should have said, hey, did you know that if you go to treestreetkids.com, you can learn more about and buy those books there? 
I should have, but I instead I just gave him a look and a knowing nod. Like, mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That sounds like a made up anecdote, but it is true story. <laughs> I would it, it would be too obvious to be a made up story. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Graham, that brings us to snack time. What are you snacking on tonight? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. So, okay. So in Wisconsin, um, it, as you, David, of course, you know, the city mm-hmm. with the most custard, frozen custard stands in America is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This uh, is something that is important to me. Yes, me, yes, to both of us. And so I today have a mint frozen custard shake that I am that I am ingesting quickly, as quickly as I can um, before it melts. And then um, my family had some cheese curds earlier today. That is not my jam. I, I know people love them. I, I, I don't like them as much, but I did have some onion rings. Logan, insert a sound effect that it stays a stand-in for me being annoyed that I'm not able to participate in this. <laughs> and then maybe insert the sound of uh, Graham running away from a monster who is chasing him just <laughs> to make me happy. Um, okay, so my snacks are um, not like my childhood uh, favorites, um, but uh-huh. they're okay. Um, Graham, I can't remember if you like these. It is... October, which means Halloween is coming. And I think next week we might have to talk about some Halloween candy, uh, some snacks and some things like that over the next month. This is my first foray into candy corn this year. Oh, dear. You don't like candy corn, right? Uh, we've talked about this before. I um, I don't think so, but I will eat a lot of it. <laughs> but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about this last year on the show. But anyway. It's, thought, it's like you know, eating little wax pellets. Right, exactly. That are somehow bed more delicious than okay. You make it sound. But you like do you like just classic candy corn, or will you go for the kind of weirder like pumpkin spice flavor? I don't like those ones as much. Okay. I just want the classic. And and you know honestly, like I'm eating two right now, and they're fine. But I don't want to eat the whole bag. I just want to. You eat them once a year, right? Yeah. I don't eat them all year long. And I thought if I'm going to eat them once this year, I'm going to eat them on Withy Window with you know my good friend Graham and thousands of children. Yeah. And you're <laughs> lying though. You're not eating them once a year. That is your first of many bags. Uh, is the, <laughs> what is the weirdest flavor you could think of that that candy that of candy corn they could make? And I'm not talking about like weird like chicken flavor. I mean like weird. Oh, because like, you you said they're a waxy candy, and I thought well probably just actual earwax. <laughs> no, no, like um, weird like um like other flavors of things like like mint so, candy corn or something. Okay, I I think. Something like blue raspberry or grape candy corn <laughs> would be weird. Like I like grape candy, uh-huh. but as candy corn, it would just be disturbing, right? Yeah, I think between those two, blue raspberry is weirder. Yeah, like blue, blue, raspberry, blue raspberry candy corn, candy corn. or bubblegum flavor. Just, yeah, see, at that point, all you're doing is saying, "All I just want blue raspberry," and so you're just like shoehorning it into the candy corn. There's a lot of other better vessels for blue, for blue raspberry and bubblegum, like such as bubblegum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about like watermelon? Yeah, I see anything like that. Like candy corn's got to be kind of like a, you can't really know what you're eating. You can't know what the flavors are and they have to be vaguely spiced. I suppose. And corn. Yeah. It's what corn. about just butter? What about, what about butter candy yeah, corn? Yeah, what if it actually did taste like corn? Yeah, but I guess nobody would eat it. I, I don't know, I'd be fine. But what if it tastes okay. like popcorn? Hmm. Oh, see, ca- hmm. candy, but that's just kettle corn. Kettle corn, yeah. But- or caramel corn. Hmm. 
So I did get one other thing though. Uh, this is kind of for my kids, so they're gonna get to eat these later. I was just in the in the aisle, and um, oh, they're not opening. What is the is it a jar it, of something? What it's is vanilla Keebler Vienna fingers. You know the the vanilla fudge cream cookies. Vienna fingers. Oh, those are great. Yeah, hard hard sandwich ba- cookie. Yeah, they're sh- they're like you know they're crispy, crunchy on the outside. They're yeah. shaped like a finger. Well, they're not really shaped like it's just an oval, but you know they can call them whatever they want, I suppose. Right, uh, but maybe in Vienna, fingers are shaped like this. <laughs> Tell me, you have, have you been to Vienna? Have and you I'm been not. to Vienna? Does everybody okay. have thin, squashed fingers from all the machine work they do there? <laughs> well, you know, maybe, the, or you, or the way you could look at it is their fat fingers. It just really depends on how you. Look I suppose. At it. Yeah, I suppose. Well, um, but either these way, are, d- they're good. They're delicious. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to do this week's edition of Lazy Lazy Words. All right, we are back. Time for Lazy Lazy Words. (laughs) Pretty soon, you're not even going to be enunciating. It's just be a murmur. It's going to be time for... Go ahead, Graham. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So last week's lazy word was, I think, a particularly good one, a a good choice. Um, And that word was super lazy. You mean? Yes, super lazy. And that was waterfall. And we were incredulous that such a powerful, beautiful, sublime uh, force of nature was just simply called waterfall. Not good. So we ask for your help. Ava thinks it should be called water slide. I like that. It's just like, it's an invitation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's also better than falling. Sliding is like, you're okay. Falling Mm -hmm. is, you never know. Anna thinks it should be called cataracta, Latin for waterfall. So let's just go with the Latin. It's great, right? Uh, Or aqua downs. Aqua downs, nice. Uh, Lucy thinks it should be called a perfect picture. <laughs> I like it. Hannah thinks it should be called crystal curtain. That's pretty cool. Uh, Neil thinks thunderfall. Sarah thinks nature shower, but only for the gentle ones. Uh, Abby, <laughs> drop of doom. Drop of doom. It's a little different than nature shower. Uh, yeah, just a bit. <laughs> Eva, God's water fountain. Nice. Uh, Rhiannon thinks it should be called display of power. And uh, Raymond thinks it should be called either tickle roar or <laughs> chocolate mixer because Willy Wonka said the other way to mix chocolate is by waterfall. Mm. Now, these were all great suggestions. We had even more, um, but every week we're, we're not going to be able to get to all of them, but keep writing us in because yeah, we will hopefully get to yours uh on the next episode so this week david yeah what is it what do you got this week we got a great lazy word picture your childhood okay okay yeah let's say i I know which states you grew up in but let's just say you grew up in the uh in nebraska all right so you're out in nebraska um and in your backyard you know you got your you got your normal house Mm -hmm. but in your backyard you see a tree 
And uh, okay. you've always thought, hmm, I should build something in that tree. Maybe like build some stairs and a platform and then on that platform, build some walls, maybe cut some windows into it, put a roof on it. Uh, what would you call such a such a structure? Uh, a tree house. A tree house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I see, I think I see what you're doing. Okay, here. so we've got yeah. house, right? Normal house. And arguably, I would say the tree house is an elevated version of the house. A better version. A cooler version. <laughs> but we are taking... Oh, I see. Elevator, elevated wasn't a pun. Uh, well, take it as you will. Um, <laughs> an elevated version. A better version. But we, are, but we are using a derivative. We're saying it's just the tree house. We should give this this thing its own word. That's a great idea. Do you have any ideas? I just thought of one. I thought of the what limbs of a tree. So limb mm-hmm. and then yeah. abode and kind of mush those together. Limber bode. Limboed. Limboed. <laughs> Limboed. <laughs> what about you? Anything you're thinking? Lim elevation station. <laughs> <laughs> You see what I'm saying, um, though. It's not. Uh, yeah, it, it's lazy. And both of those are better than, than Treehouse. Um, Treehouse says should sound cooler I mean, than house. You could even just call it like Sky Castle and it'd be better than Treehouse. Oh, well, yeah, obviously. But, but but like, let's let the kids solve this one for okay. us because that's what they're good at. So if you have an answer, write us in podcasts at goldberrybooks.com and help us solve this problem. Give us an alternate word for Treehouse. And by the way, we have gotten lots of great drawings. Uh, we love seeing those drawings of David chasing a pigeon, me eating leaves, waterfalls, all sorts of great stuff. So keep those coming. You can email those again to us, podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Graham, you know what that brings us to, though? I, I can't remember. Tell me. Story time. Oh, yes. So we're going to take a quick break. Be back with story time in exactly 17 seconds by our time uh, or something sometime be back in a second all right graham we are back with the segment the segment that is taking the season by storm last year (laughs) it was lazy words last season it was lazy words this season it's story time a lot of storms and you know what that works great because it's my week to bring a story and this story is called a sea troll a sea troll a sea troll yeah like it's, you're uh, seeing it or it lives no, by the it, sea? S-E-A. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Graham, we're going to find out. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So this comes out of a book called Troll Magic, Hidden Folk from the Mountains and Forests of Norway. Cool. It's by the- Theodore Kittleson and translated by uh, Tina Nunali. Um, This is a new book, but these stories are from... I believe the 1800s, early 1900s. Okay. This translation is newer. So I do want to shout out that translator, uh, Tina uh, Nunali, and go check out this book, Troll Magic. Okay, here's the thing. Yeah. You, you named the translator and the illustrator. Both of those people sound like troll names to me. Not going to lie. <laughs> well, one of my favorite things about this book is that the characters, there's so many names in this book and the names are all, well, first of all, they're very Norwegian. And then mm-hmm. second of all, they're just... Uh, crazy and wild and wonderful so are you ready to hear a sea troll i can't wait okay i don't really know how my troll accent's gonna be so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to find out when we get there 
Johan Persa and Elias Nilsa once went out to the islets together to shoot seabirds and gather eggs. Mm. Their efforts were rewarded. They collected a whole crate of eggs and also nabbed quite a few fat common eiders. They'd brought along a coffee pot and some provisions, as one does, right, Graham? I mean, we, we wouldn't go anywhere without a coffee pot and some provisions. This is sounding like a good day so far. And in the stern of their rowboat lay a little flask that was meant to lift their spirits. So they made a fire, smoked their pipes, and chatted a bit about the troubles of the world. Ah, uh, yeah. Bird talk and such. Right, bird talk and such, yeah. All right, you can stay here and mind the coffee pot, Johan. I'm going out to fish for a while, said Elias. Elias got one nibble after another. Hmm. But not even a haddock did he catch. Oh, say that like the haddocks aren't great. I don't know. I don't know why there's that haddock slander. Yet it was strange about all those nibbles. He definitely had the feeling that something like a fist was tugging on his line. Oh dear. Oh dear. Even, even though he pulled up an empty hook each time. Elias, is he not? He's not putting this together yet, huh? Apparently not. Well, he doesn't know the title of the tale he's in, right? He, that's true. He doesn't know that okay. he's in a tale. Okay. And where did his friend go? Just left? His friend is, um, um, he says, you can sit here and mind the coffee pot. So Johan's minding the coffee pot. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Continue. And Elias is going to fish for a bit. Mm -hmm. He began to sense that something out of the ordinary must be nibbling at his line down below. Elias wasn't stupid. Hmm. He chuckled to himself and thought, if you're that hungry, then have a taste of this. He picked up an old, furry... What do you think it's going to be, Graham? A, a, a shoe? <laughs> he picked up an old, furry mitten filled with, with dirt and debris and attached it to his hook. You know, you weren't that far off. Huh? One goes on the hand, one goes on the foot. And with that, he got a strong nibble. He pulled as hard as he could, but it was as if the line were tied to the bottom. Oof. Suddenly, it released. He felt something heavy hanging onto it, and he heaved and heaved, and then the line got stuck again. And he couldn't budget at all. But he refused to give up. He merely coiled the line around an oarlock, spat on his hands, and then pulled with all his might. Cool. You know, whenever you got to do something that's a lot like hard labor, you got to spit on your hands first. Yeah, rub them together, spit. Yep. yep. Suddenly the line was moving easier. So easy that he thought the hook must have fallen right off. But as soon as the fishing sinker rose above the surface, he saw a big scorpion fish wriggling back and forth with the furry mittens in its jaws. The next second, the fish fell to the bottom of the boat with a thud. There it lay, looking up at Elias. Never had he seen anything so vile. The mouth was wide open with the hook and the mitten hanging from one corner. The fish was gasping and groaning, making its whole body rise and fall like a big bladder, while its tiny angled eyes spun around its head. It's a little gruesome. I don't... Yeah, the, ugh. the fish was covered all over with barbs and little flaps of skin that wobbled and swayed. Elias found it annoying that the fish had fooled him so badly. Go ahead and stare, old man, he said. But I'm not afraid of you. Then he grabbed the fish, yanked out the hook, and spat right into the fish's mouth. You filthy beast, he said. And then he angrily hurled the fish far across the water. What? Yeah, I think it's a little bit harsh to spit in something else's mouth and then call it a beast, but you know. Yeah. <sighs> this One is day, Elias. Long... Yeah, exactly. Elias. Yeah. Come on. Now, one day, a long time after that, Elias happened to go to the same scary to fish. This time, he was alone. He moored his boat in a spot that was sheltered from the waves and settled down in the same place as before to make coffee. While the coffee brewed, he wandered around the islet. He looked at the blackbirds calling shrilly as they perched in crevices and hollows with the sea swirling around them. Then he happened to think about that vile scorpion fish he'd caught in this very place. 
yeah. at that moment, he looked down, couldn't believe his eyes. There lay that same ugly beast on dry ground. Well, the otter must have dragged it there because the fish couldn't possibly be alive, and it did look dry as dust. Elias poked at the fish a bit with his foot. It turned out there was a bit of life in the fish after all. It jumped and leapt and snapped its jaws like crazy. Then Elias gave the fish a mighty kick and it flew at once into the sea. But no sooner did the fish touch the water than it grew and grew into a horribly ugly fellow that rose up and gaped with scorpion fish jaws that were as huge as an open sea chest. Oh my word. And then he roared, Go ahead, spit into my mouth again if you like, Elias. But let me tell you that I... Well, not another word did Elias hear. He ran as if the devil himself were at his heels. And he sped home using both oars and sail and with sweat pouring off of him. Okay, only I'm starting. When he safely- uh, yeah, I'm starting to think Elias is smart because I like that portion right there. <laughs> I, he didn't even wait for the first sentence to finish. <laughs> he ran as if the devil himself were at his heels. He sped home using both oars and sail, and with sweat pouring off of him. And only when he had safely reached home did he remember the coffee pot that was still there, boiling away. Ooh, the end. <laughs> Classic Norwegian fairy tale, right there. Okay, wild creatures. Loss of coffee. Uh, <laughs> Spinning? I don't know. Okay, so Johan and uh, Elias, they seem to be yeah. pretty good birders. But then they go, they have to try their hand at fishing and, and that's where things go wrong. That's where I think the moral is. Yeah, just stay in the, stay with the birds. Yeah, keep your, keep your head in the air. <laughs> well, that's this week's story time. A little bit of a shorter one, but that's because we got to get you as quickly as possible to our conversation with Alan Gratz. Alan is the number one New York Times bestselling author of... Graham, let's do a guessing game here. How many novels do you think that Alan Gratz has written for young readers? Uh, I know it's more than five. Is it more than 10? Nine. Are you asking? Or are you... Nine. Alan Gratz is the number one New York Times bestselling author of 17 novels for young readers 17 17 oh my goodness they include books like ground zero refugee allies grenade prisoner b3087 project 1065 and ban this book he is a knoxville tennessee native but now lives full-time in Asheville, north carolina with his wife and daughter he has a new book out right now it's called two degrees and we talk about that in this conversation, but uh, we, this is a wide-ranging conversation. We talked about a lot of stuff, and he told a lot of great stories and very funny guys. So we think you're really going to like this. So with that, here is our conversation with Alan Gratz. All right, Alan, we are so excited to have you on. Uh, you're a guest that we have we've been eyeing, uh, side-eyeing for a long time. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and hanging out with us. We're excited. Thanks. I, I thought I, I thought I saw you peeking at me around a couple of corners uh, yeah. in town. So I'm glad yeah. we're finally doing this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's just get it out in the out in the open, not be so mysterious right. and creepy about it. Right. Stop following me around. Yeah, let's okay. just do this. Yeah, let's just. Yeah, this is why you're doing it. You're willing to do it just to end the creepiness. Well, That's we right. wouldn't. That's right. We wouldn't have to follow you around if you would just tell us your address. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, no. that isn't going to happen. No, no, no. So we, we've no, been trying. This is as close as you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not going to put his address out there on a podcast for thousands of kids um okay so speaking of those kids though alan the most important question that you will get on any podcast ever or at least the most important question you will get on this podcast today is cheetos or doritos oh so um i I will tell you and this maybe i'm the first person to ever say this i've never eaten either one 
I know. That's the surprise. I know. What? I know. I've never eaten either one in my entire life. David? <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> I've broken it. I've broken the podcast already. <laughs> so, okay. Is that a... Yeah, we got a lot of questions. First, yeah, first figured. why? Um, I'm a super picky eater. Okay. And I can count... I, 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 well, I used to say I could count what I eat on, on two hands, but, mm. but I, but I, I think there's a little bit more than that. It's close. I will say if I can add an, 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 eat, an Ito's snack mm-hmm. to the mix that mm-hmm. I do eat Fritos. Yeah. Okay. So it's okay. not that I don't eat delicious processed foods, which I do. <laughs> um, but, uh, but my, my Ito's is not Cheetos or, uh, or Doritos. It is Fritos. So you've never been, yeah. you've never been at a party or parked in front of a, a sporting event on TV where somebody passed you a bowl. It just never happened. Oh, they, they, no, they passed me the bowl. I just keep passing it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No. So I, I've been like this since I was a little kid and, uh, I had a very limited, amount of stuff that I would eat from yeah. from a very early age. My parents tell me that I would used to eat anything you'd put in front of me. Like when I was very little, when I was a baby in a in a high chair, just eat whatever you put in front of me. But then as soon as I got to that age where you start turning food down, yeah. you know, where you get picky, yeah. kind of to test your boundaries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I did that, but I never stopped. Mm. And so there are tons of foods out there that I have never ever had. Now I will tell you that I can probably tell you what a Doritos tastes like because of the overwhelming smell from the bowl <laughs> that I passed yeah, past yeah. me. But uh-huh. uh, same thing with Cheetos, probably. Uh, but yeah. but uh, <laughs> but I am told that coffee, which I've also never tasted, uh, does not taste quite like it smells. It does smell delicious. Uh, but um, no, I, I may be the first person to ever push on this one, but I'm going to push. I loved it. Okay, so... I was also a pick eater, still kind of am, but not in those areas. <laughs> but I've no, not in the snack department. Um, but I, I used to feel very awkward and bad explaining to people the things I, yes. I, I, I don't eat. But then I've gotten to this point now where I don't care. I just accept. Same here, same okay. here. And so that's why I'm laughing about it with you guys. And it's really not uncomfortable for me to talk about. But there was a time, especially when I was younger, when like I would go over to a friend's house to spend the night, and I I would try to lay out for the mom, you know, all the food stuff, you know, yeah. and they would say, oh, you don't like fried chicken because you haven't had my fried chicken, right? And so then they would make fried chicken and that would be the only thing served that night. And I'd be like, you don't understand. This is really not personal, but like, I'm I'm not even going to try it because the thing for me is that it's not that I try foods and I don't like them. And it's not that I have allergic reactions to them or feel sick or anything. It's I can't literally like, put the food in my mouth. Yeah. It's like mm. a mental thing. It's yeah, totally yeah. mental. Mm. And I can't do it. And like uh, I went in seventh grade, we went on a trip to the barrier islands. I live in North Carolina now. And I lived in Tennessee then. And we went out to the barrier islands on in North Carolina coast. And um, we, we went to an environmental camp and we were there and they had like cafeteria style food all week long. Mm. And by like Wednesday, <laughs> I was like passing out. Because all I'd eaten were the saltine crackers on the table. And the one time we had like a pancake breakfast, I had pancakes. And so like, I was, I was, they took me to the mainland to a doctor and they were like, like, Alan, you're, you're about to pass out. You look, you look, you know, like you're all the blood strained out of your face. And I'm like, I just need food. And <laughs> so they took me to the doctor and the doctor gives me this checkup. And he says, Alan, I think I know what's wrong with you. And I was 
I was in seventh grade. I was like, oh my God, please tell me what is wrong with me so I can fix this, so I can get beyond this because it's, I couldn't go to space camp in eighth grade. I couldn't go to, to as a foreign exchange student in high school because my parents knew I would never eat, right? They knew I would starve. Yeah, you'd come so back like, dead. Please, right, right. I was like, please tell me, tell me, tell me what is wrong with me. And he said, the problem is you're not eating. <laughs> I was like, wow, how much do we owe you? Thank you, genius. <laughs> um, so like I, my parents and I, I've seen, look, I've seen psychologists about it. I've seen uh, medical doctors about it. I've talked to my parents and we've tried to to remember, did I like, did I like have something that I ate when I was a kid that I had a really bad reaction to? And, mm -hmm. and from that point on, just decided in that kid logic, like I will only eat the things that I know is that I like and that won't make me sick. We can't figure it out. I, I honestly, I don't know. I, I, instead of calling it a being picky eater, which I did earlier, I've started lately calling it like a food phobia. Hmm. Because it really is more that because I'm really almost I'm afraid to put the food in my mouth. Okay. And yeah, yeah, go. Okay. So what foods are you not afraid to put in your mouth? Then, <laughs> Like what okay. are your favorite so, snack foods and your comfort foods? Right, right. So cheese pizza is my big, big thing. Like I, I have eaten, um, I, I did the count once, I think more than 15,000 pizzas in my lifetime. Uh, used to be, that was what I ate for dinner every single day it was a cheese pizza. Um, I like pancakes. I mentioned that earlier, uh, toast, uh, so, you know, bread, but I like, I like to put the butter on it and then toast it in the, like flat in the toaster rather than put the toaster and then put the butter on it. I mean, I'll eat it the other way, but I don't prefer that. Yeah. Uh, like, um, I will eat tortilla chips, like plain tortilla chips that don't have all the Doritos stuff. All yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, that's kind of like my, my snack food and Fritos, like I said, I drink Cokes. I drink uh, like black tea, which I've just added within the last year, which is a new huh. thing for me. It's very, very exciting. <laughs> I, um, I, I never drank anything hot before either. I didn't drink any hot drinks. And so everybody be like, have a hot drink in the winter. And I'm like, yeah, well, I, I don't I don't do that. So I was only <laughs> drinking my ice water in the winter and freezing <laughs> uh, Coke and water. That's like all I drink besides tea, um, regular Coke. And boy, when they changed to new Coke when I was a kid. That that wrecked me because mm. that was like one of the two things I drank as a kid and they changed the formula and it was trash. Mm. So I started drinking just water. So um, which is healthier for you anyway. Uh, French fries. <laughs> I love, love French fries. French fries covered with my favorite rock to eat, which is salt. Uh, I love <laughs> eating French fries all the time. Um, and uh, but not but not mashed potatoes. So I, so it's, it's not always the, it's, it's like the presentation of it. The, the texture of it really matters. Mm. Um, what else? Uh, I, I'll eat like an egg noodle. Um, and, and that's kind of been a standby in other countries is just be able to get a basic noodle when I travel to other places, uh, to eat. Uh, but I've, I've, I have been able to travel. Like I've gone to Japan. Uh, I've been to, to Hong Kong, I've been to Switzerland, I've been to Brazil, I've been mm. to all these great, cool places, and I basically just starve for a long time. Unless I'm in a big city where I can get French fries and pizza, um, but the French fries and pizza are kind of my big thing. I have this routine when I'm home. I eat French fries on Monday, and I eat pizza on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I eat noodles on Wednesday. Back to French fries on Friday. And then usually kind of like noodles and pancakes on the weekend. So I've got so many questions about how this impacts <laughs> you as a writer. Um, yeah. And we maybe we'll come back to that because I, I, 
I'm curious about how, like, you seems like you very have some routines and some habits and things like that. And I'd love to know how that impacts yeah. you as a writer. So maybe we'll come back to that later. But I know we've got to get into a couple other questions here from the kids. Green, yeah, we could do this the whole time. I know we could. Well, yeah, yeah. First, first off, I, thank you for getting vulnerable on our podcast. I know, right? <laughs> That's like, listen, I think- I'm not the only kid out there. I'm not the only person out there who was a picky kid. And yeah. I've run into this all the time. I'll tell people my story. And then every now and then, a parent, a librarian, somebody I'm talking to will be like, oh my gosh, my kid is just like that. <laughs> and they're panicky because they don't want their kid to be unhealthy. They don't want them to grow up with with health yeah. problems, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah. I tell them, look, it's manageable. Like, it's not great. And I get it. I, uh, the only the only vegetable I eat is like corn on the cob, which is weird. And I won't eat like corn off the cob. Don't I? It's all mysterious. Don't, I don't <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but I don't eat anything green. You know, I don't eat any fruits. It's not healthy. And it's really hard to travel. And it's you guys know mm. this food is such a part of human the community. Yeah. It's it's yeah. a part of how we come together. Thanksgiving, always my least favorite holiday. Hated it. Hated mm. everybody in the kitchen. Hated the big meal where I had to sit there for an hour and a half and not eat anything. Right. Like, like there are there are food rituals that we have as human beings that make it really hard when you're like this. And so, yeah, like, like Graham, what you're saying, like a lot of kids will kind of come out of the woodwork when I tell my story and say like, oh my gosh, I'm just like you. And they get it. And it's a very, it's a small group of people, but we're out there and and it, and it's really difficult for us around those food times. And I just like those kids to know they're not alone. And and it's, it's not going to wreck your life. You have to make allowances for it, but yeah. it's not going to wreck everything. Mm. Um, okay. Graham. Huh. Before we get into the other questions. Maybe we should let Alan kind of. Alan, you want to tell us about tell us about your books? You, like you've got a new, brand new book out. Is it is it coming out in a couple of weeks? It's out now. Um, is that right? As we're yeah. recording this, it's not quite out yet. Some okay. people have like early copies of it, yeah, because yeah. it filters out through book fairs, and you know, some people get their hands on it. It's got a week until it officially debuts, but it's called Two Degrees, and it is the story of four different kids in three different parts of North America, all dealing with climate disasters. And uh, so it's the story of a girl named Akira who is trying to survive a wildfire in the Sierra Nevada mountain range in California, along with her horse Dodger. It's a story of two boys named Owen and George who live in Manitoba, up in Churchill, Manitoba in Canada. And they are trying to survive uh, being hunted by a polar bear who's come in off the sea ice because the sea ice has melted and mm. hasn't reformed in, for winter. And they're being chased around their town by a polar bear. And it's also the story of a girl named Natalie who lives in Miami, Florida, and is trying to survive a hurricane with her neighbor's dog, Churro. And I tell all three of those stories wrapped up like a chapter, you know, a chapter from one kid, a chapter from the other two kids, a chapter from the other kid, and um, all the way out. So you get this picture of what what climate change is doing to the world right now, like this very minute. Uh, When I was researching this book, I read that at, for one month in 2019, 2020, I think so at one point when I was doing the research for this, at one point in one month in the United States, they estimated that it, like a third of Americans were were uh, ha- experiencing at the same time a FEMA level natural disaster, mm. like something where FEMA was like, this is a natural disaster where we have to like mobilize the trucks and get down there and help people. And wow. it was a third of Americans all over the country. 
right? And I was like, okay, so I'm going to write a story that's set all in North America at the same time. It all happens essentially on top of each other, but in different places, very different climate effects. So it's four kids, three different climate disasters, two degrees of climate change, of, of temperature rise, I should say, from the beginning of the industrial era, and one cause, and that causes climate change. So mm. that book is two degrees, and uh, it, it will be in uh, bookstores and libraries near you very soon. Mm. Well, I think by the time this airs, um, maybe it's already, already there. Yeah, I think yeah. it'll be. You're yeah. listening to this in the future. That's right. <laughs> it'll be right around the same time, right around the week that it came out, I think. Maybe like the week oh, after. Oh, sweet. So. Sweet. So uh, available wherever finer books are acquired. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alan, um, shorthand can be very uh, beneficial. And I'm wondering. Uh, Sometimes when people describe you as an author, I hear that you do historical fiction. What you're describing now as your new book is not historical fiction. I know you've written other stuff in the past. Do you find that label, uh, like, is that helpful? Does that, do you feel like that en encompasses something or the majority of your work that you do? Uh, or would you kind of reject that? I, I certainly wouldn't reject it. I don't think it covers everything. As you say, two degrees is all happening right now. And that was really important to me. When I started thinking about the project, though, all I thought was, I want to write a book about climate change, which of course is a huge topic and a, and a and a big thing to tackle. And so I thought, well, climate change is slow. It's been happening over over decades, over, over centuries for us, over millennia, it, when you look at the whole scheme of the world. But if you're talking about human-caused climate change, like 200 years. I was like, how do I tell the story? Do I go way back in time to the beginning of the industrial era and do one story there? And then do I jump forward to like the 1970s with the first Earth Day mm. and the environmental movement? And then do I jump to the present to show like where we are? You know, with Refugee, I was able to do different time periods to for, for a reason to say, if we keep making the same mistakes of the past, then manana tomorrow is going to be the same as yesterday. Right. Mm. And and you could say the same thing about climate change. If we keep ignoring it or keep, you know, just kind of halfway trying to fix the problem and not really not really getting there. Are, are we going to are we going to keep making the same mistakes and, and have climate change in the future? I thought about that. I thought about going historical. But then, like I was saying, I, I saw that so much so many things were happening right now, mm. you know, and, and I thought, well, I, I want to tell a story of the present because a lot of the climate change stuff is even in set in the future. Like what will happen if we let this get out of control? And those are useful too. It's almost like sci-fi. Things are bad enough. Yeah, it's like sci-fi, exactly. And so it's like things are bad enough now that I didn't have to make up future stuff, you know? So I, you're right. Some of my stuff doesn't quite fit that. So I would prefer to you. I always, when I talk about my own stuff, I call them social thrillers. So this is a term that I heard Jordan Peele use. He's the guy who did the movie Get Out and the recent yeah. movie Nope, which was yeah. super scary. Um, <laughs> and uh, I love his work. I think he's a super smart guy. And I was listening to a podcast where he was talking about his work and he called his own movies social thrillers. And that's when it like clicked for me. And I was like, Oh, that's that's how I want to talk about my work because it doesn't pin it to a certain time period, mm -hmm. but it does say action-packed, page-turner, thrilling story, but also one that I hope makes you think about it after you're done with it. Mm -hmm. that, that gives you something, some sort of social <clears throat> angle to it. So even with a book like 
allies, which is about D-Day. I talk about a lot of the marginalized people who fought in D-Day and whose stories are not often told, and then who finished fighting for freedom, fighting the Nazis to, 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 to win freedom back for their countries and for the world, and then went right back to a country that denied them the same freedoms that white people had, mm. right? So like, even, even in a story like D-Day, I can pull in things like that, that tackle issues like that. It may not be the main issue of the book, but that always leaves you with something like that. So with my climate change book, obviously that's like the big, the big thing I'm trying to tackle. But but I, I love that idea of a social thriller, a, a book you can't put down, but that also leaves you with with questions that you, and and think and thoughts that you're having about the way our society operates and and maybe how we can change that to be better. So we have a question here from Damien, and you kind of just touched on this, but maybe you could just kind of get into it a little bit more. Uh, he he says, with so many historical events to choose from, how do you even narrow it down? How do you pick? So is there like yeah. a process you do that, or you just kind of follow whatever you're interested in in that moment? There, it's a little of both. That's a great question, Damien. Thank you if you're listening. So uh, sometimes it is an anniversary. Like I wrote the D-Day book on the 75th anniversary of D-Day to come out that year. Uh, I wrote Ground Zero because we were coming up on the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. Um, so sometimes it's an anniversary. Sometimes it's a person I meet. Uh, pr- Prisoner B three zero eight seven was based completely. It was a it's a it's a a book about the Holocaust, and it is the story of one guy, Jack Gruner, and it is his story. I got to work with him to tell the story. I made it into a novel, which is fiction, but it's based on his true life story. Hmm. Or Grenade, which is about the Battle of Okinawa, but had its origins in me meeting a guy in Japan who had grown up on the island of Okinawa and told me this incredible story. He told me that when he was a kid, that the when the United States invaded his island to try and take it from Japan during World War II, that the Japanese army pulled him and all the other middle school boys out of school, took him outside, lined him up, and gave each of them a grenade. And they said, go off into the forest and don't come back until you've used your grenade to kill an American soldier. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what did you do? And he's like, are you kidding? I like threw mine in the woods and ran away and hid for the rest of the war. That's why I'm talking to you now. And I was like, that's really amazing. But that's not the book I can. That's not going to make an exciting book. (laughs) So I'll do that as the first chapter. And then I'll read more about what happened to other kids who maybe weren't as smart or as lucky as he was and try to tell that story. So that one had no anniversary tied to it. It was that I met a guy. He told me about this amazing moment in history and this incredible crucible that these kids had to go through. And I wanted to, I felt inspired to write about that. Refugee came about because of me seeing things on the news, but also finding a raft on a beach when I was on vacation with my family in Florida and and saying like, oh my God, why am I not writing about this right here, right now? We've got people who are risking their lives to come here to my country. Why am I not writing about that? So a lot of times it's uh, the, the the big answer, Damien, is it's what I'm most excited to write about in that moment, right? But there are a lot of things that bring me to an idea, like anniversaries or people I've met or or things that like climate change, I could have written about at any time in the last 5, 10, 15, my entire life I could have written about this this subject. But it feels really important, like, right this second. Like, like, like we can't wait another minute. Mm. Um, Graham, we've got... We've got a lot of questions here. Let's let's. Uh, it might be a little abrupt. Let's. You got one here, Graham. You wanna you wanna do one that yeah. you love? 
Well, I, it's interesting. Okay, so you just mentioned refugee, and Molly has a question, and you might have answered it. Uh, she says, um, my mom and me would like to know how you did the research for refugee, and is it is any of it based on a true story? Right. So the research... Oh, yeah. So Molly and her mom are on to me like this is a whole lot of work, right? Like they they read this. They're like, how in the world? OK, it's a ton of work. Now, all three of the main characters in Refugee are fictional. I made them up. Right. But every single thing that happens to them happened to a real kid on one of these journeys in one of these time periods. So I read about uh, I read about a lot of kids who were on the MS St. Louis in 1939 trying to escape. Germany and get to freedom and safety in Cuba. And I pulled a lot of their stories and their families and things together and combined them into one fictional story, one fictional kid, where all the things that happened to him on the MS St. Louis are real. The mutiny on the MS St. Louis, real. You know, all the stuff that he goes through, real. But he himself is is made up. Same thing with Isabel. I, I talked to people who'd been, uh, who'd come to America on rafts, the Boteros, watched documentaries, read their stories, found a lot of different experiences, found those experiences that were very common. A lot of people talked about the sharks. A lot of people talked about the sharks, right? Like there were so many sharks. So I knew I was going to have to have a scene with sharks in there. And if you've read Refugee, you know what I'm talking about. So like, I, I, in that case, Isabel is fictional, but all the things that happen are things that happened to real people. Same thing with Mahmoud. So that one, there was amazing uh, research being done, amazing reporting being done in the moment by newspapers like the New York Times and the Washington Post and Time Magazine and Al Jazeera, the Middle Eastern uh, news agency, and The Guardian in England and The Independent and NPR and television stations, they were all following this crisis. They were walking, some of them, with refugees as they left Syria to follow them wherever they ended up. And it was those um, that amazing reporting that I used. So each of, each of the, the – I had to do a ton of research for each one because none of these was my own personal experience. And each one was a little different to do. With the 1930s and the MS St. Louis, there have been books written about that. So I could go to the library. I could check out the books. I could bring them back. We know the names of everybody who got on that ship. We know what they did before they got on that ship. We know what happened to them on the ship. We know what happened to them when they got off the ship. Like there's been amazing research for that because it's 75 years ago. Mm. For the the 90s and the 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 refugees who, who were leaving Cuba to come to the United States, we have people in the United States who are the 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 the, the people who came here. Like we have, we have adults who were kids on those journeys, uh, and and they've told their stories. And so for that, I was using newspaper, magazines, personal accounts, like documentaries. And then for the for the story uh, from Syria, the Syrian refugees' point of view, all immediate reporting. Like almost no books were written about that at the time. Now we've got a bunch, but I was writing that at the height of the refugee crisis, which is still going on. But it was the most intense time of it, and it was all down to reporting. There was one website I found where every day it would show the different factions and where they had moved in this in the country of Syria and what parts they had taken over. Kurdish rebels, ISIS, the government, the rebels. You know, it, was Iran making incursions? You know, where where were the different factions? And you could move that slider back and forth and see almost by the hour, at least by the day where people were. And I was able to slide it back and say, that's the day that my 
family, Mahmoud and his family leave. And this is what Syria looks like that day. So it was a ton of research. Um, I'm, I'm super proud of the work. I look back at it now and I'm like, how in the world did I do that? Because it, it was so much, but it was, and it, and it was all very different. Hmm. We, okay. So one of the things that you've kind of gotten into is how complicated and how many different moving parts there are in your stories. And we have a question here from Chaz who specifically references Brooklyn, the Brooklyn nine. Ah. But uh, the question is, do you have, do you have to have a spreadsheet to keep all the elements of your stories straight? So how do you keep track of all the different parts of the stories? And then after this question, we're going to do a few rapid fire questions and then we'll do the quiz. So, um, I love it. so keeping track of everything. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, it's Chaz, right? Chaz, who asked yep, this question. Yep. So Chaz is on to me on this one, too, because I literally have a spreadsheet for <laughs> Brooklyn Nine. Uh, Chaz is, is also my... following you. I know. Uh, listen, you guys just stalked me in town, and Chaz is on my computer. Chaz, <laughs> get off my computer. <laughs> that, that is hacking. That's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Chaz is on to me because I I do have a spreadsheet because especially to keep track of uh, so if for you guys, who, for the folks who in the audience who aren't f- as familiar with Brooklyn Nine, it's one of my older books. It's about nine generations of one American family and their connections to American history and to baseball. So the kid in one story grows up and in the next story, they're the parent. And then the next story, they're the grandparent. But it's always this one extended family all the way through each generation from like the 1830s and the beginning of baseball all the way up to the present, at least when, when the book came out, which I think was 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. So in this spreadsheet, I had like the first kid and how old they were when they, their story happened and how old they were when they got married and how old they were when they had a kid. So I could keep track and make sure that all my times and my generations and everything worked out. Um, So yeah, not only do I keep spreadsheets on like that kind of stuff if I have lo- a long time period to take care of, but I also outline everything in great detail before I start writing. And um, I have a big board in my office where I, I can put push pins in it and I put up note cards and I outline it so that each chapter gets a note card and I can stick it up there and I can keep track of everything. So when I'm ready to write, I don't sit down with like thinking, I'm going to write a story about nine generations of an American family and just kind of figure this out. No, no, no. I've got this. It all printed out and I've got it next to me. And I say, today, I'm not writing a whole book. I'm writing one chapter. One chapter is like seven pages. And here's exactly what happens in that chapter. And right here beneath it are all the research notes. I need to tell just that part of the story. Like I I even mm. separate out my research notes before I begin. So when I was writing Refugee, I wasn't trying to go through three different groups of research, right? Like like the MS St. Louis and the, the Cuban refugees and the Syrian refugees. I wasn't like thumbing through mounds of research. I was going through one person's research and I'd even separated it out so that like if we're in Hamburg, before the ship leaves, here's all my Hamburg research, right? So I don't have to even go looking through all the other stuff for when the Jewish refugees are on the ship crossing the ocean. Mm. So I use spreadsheets. I use a a program called Scrivener, which really helps me keep track of a lot of different files. Used to be before that, I would just have multiple Microsoft Windows windows open so that your documents open. Now I just have one big thing I have multiple monitors, though, and that really helps me. I can have my book that I'm typing, writing on one screen. I can have my notes on another. I can have uh, my outline on another. And, and so it really helps me to keep track of everything while I'm writing. That's the biggest challenge about writing anything that's that's set in another place or time. 
So a couple of weeks ago in a recent episode, we had the great Gary Schmidt on and he oh, talked about, he talked about how he writes on a typewriter. So it's definitely the oh, same man. thing as your system with multiple monitors and spreadsheets and all that. <laughs> yeah, he's old school and listen, mm. it works for him because he <laughs> writes amazing books. Yeah. And that is a great excuse for me to also say to all the young writers who are listening, there are as many different ways to write a book as there are different authors. Mm. So what works for me will not work for Gary Schmidt. And what works for Gary Schmidt does not work for me. Like I, and some people write out their books by longhand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like they, they sit down at a, with a pen and paper and oh my gosh, I cannot imagine. Like my thoughts are coming so fast when I'm writing that I need to be able to type because my hand doesn't write fast enough for that. Now, when I'm doing my outline, I love to write by hand because I do enjoy it. And that's when I want to be slow and slow down and, and come up with those ideas for what the story yeah. will be, yeah, yeah. right? But when I have the idea for the story, then I want to be knocking out the dialogue and the scenes and all the words and sentences and paragraphs that make it come to life. So, no, it, it's funny because I hear about some people who type on old typewriters, some people who write by longhand, some people who write on these little things called alpha smarts that's like a, basically a keyboard with a with a monitor with a monitor that's like a, to, an inch and a half tall because they don't want to be able to see anything they wrote. They just want to see the next line. I couldn't do that either. So like there's tons of different ways to write and whatever works best for you. It, it just takes experimentation to find what system works best for you and, and the way you are as a writer. Mm. I'm well, pretty sure those alpha smarts, I, I used to check those out of our school library in 1997. <laughs> yeah, there are some writers I know who swear by those things. And I, I can't imagine not being able, I move things around. Now I, I try to move forward. I try not to go back and edit too much. And that's what they, they say those little things do is they keep you from going back and mm. rereading and editing too much. And that's, that is a good idea. But for me, I still need the, and I know they export it to their computer and then they use it when they edit, but, yeah. but I still like to see the whole thing in front of me. Yeah. And I think, I think I use them, I think like learning how to type. I think that was their. Oh, sure. Way. That'd be a great I, way I to learn remember. to type too. Cause really then you're just looking at what the lines you're writing are, you know, yeah. you're not looking at a bigger body of work. Yeah. Mm. All right. So Alan, um, what were some of your favorite books as a kid? Oh Yeah. So uh, I, I read The Hobbit when I was young, and I love The Hobbit. It's a book I reread now. Um, I read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the, to the Galaxy in fourth grade. I probably, I think maybe half of it went over my head, but I loved it too. And I love, I love stories that are kind of bonkers like that that have a really wild, uh, you know, um, wild and wacky kind of stuff to them. Um, when I was a kid, uh, The Phantom Toll Booth was a big book for me. Really loved that one. It has a ton of wordplay in it, and I love puns and i love wordplay jokes uh that one that one told me you know, i could have fun you know reading a book and i could have fun writing a book um so uh another book that had a huge impact on me though in a very different way was tuck everlasting so read mm. that book in seventh grade in class and it's not a book i would have picked up out of the library it, it didn't have the kind of bonkers science fiction or fantasy cover that I would have normally gravitated to. But um, one of the other uh, things about me as a kid, besides my food phobia is I had, I, I, I was totally afraid of dying. I just was like, so obsessed with dying. I didn't have thankfully anybody close to me who had died. It wasn't, again, I don't know what the cause of it was, but as soon as I learned that I was mortal, I was deathly afraid of dying. If you'll forgive that, that joke, but like <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I, I couldn't even sleep at night. I was so afraid that I would die in my sleep. 
right? And so I read the, I read this book, Tuck Everlasting in Seventh Grade, and it's all about the cycle of life. It's all about this one family who drank from a spring in the in the middle of the woods, and now they can't die. They they live forever, and it's a story about whether everybody should drink from this spring or whether we should bury this and never tell anybody about it. And I was like, please give me a map to the location of this spring so that I could drink from its waters every day. Like I do not want to die. I want to live forever. I want to see what the world is going to be like a thousand years from now. I love the world. I'm very excited to see where it's going. So I, I want to be around forever, but this book talked about death and dying in a, in a very realistic way. And in, this was a book that I knew was written for kids. It was a book I knew was written for me, right? It wasn't an adult book that we were reading as kids and then analyzing or something in class. It was a book that was middle grade and specifically written for me. And it treated my fear of dying very seriously because I, all my life, had had adults telling me, Alan, you're not going to die for a long time. Get over it. Go to sleep. Don't worry about it, right? And I, it's very hard as a kid when you, when you are afraid of something or when you care very deeply about something and you don't really understand why and maybe don't even have a, a reason that you could point to, just like with my food thing, you know, sometimes I would try to explain that. And there's some people who are like, whatever, whatever your deal is, we'll, we'll get around it. And there were other people who are like, that's, that's just makes no sense. Let's just push past it. Right. You, you just need to get over it. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people who told me, just get over your fear of death. And this book said, I get it. I, I, I get being afraid to die. And let's talk about that. And I still don't agree that, that everybody, everything should die because of the cycle of life, whatever. So I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't, I didn't like the message at the end. I was like, yeah, I still don't want to die. But I appreciated, <laughs> but I appreciated that this book took my concern seriously and had a, 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 an adult conversation with me as a kid about something that really, really resonated with me. And I've always remembered that. And I've always tried to write my books with the same respect for kids it, it, that that one had. Not every book I write is going to tackle every kid's every fear. There's yeah. just no way. But 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 at some point, I try to tackle something in there that that means something to my main characters. And I take it seriously. And I hope that there's some kid out there who's you know, who's going through something like that. I, I don't hope there's a, a kid who's going through something bad, but if they are, that that this book helps them see that they're not alone. Hmm. So you talk, you're just talking here about how you really want to see what happens in the future. Oh, yeah. But if you, which is a question we've gotten from kids for a couple of different authors, you're, you'd like to write about history. If you could go back and live hmm. in any historical era, what would you choose? Like say a decade. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after I this think quiz time. I would, all right. I think I would choose the 1930, 1920s, 1920s before the Great Depression. Um, I think, especially United States, 1920s, uh, there, was, there was a lot of optimism. It was the jazz age. There were the, 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 the clothes were cool. People were driving around in cool cars. Uh, you know, the economy was strong. Uh, we, we later learned, you know, b- because everybody was kind of like investing in nothing in the stock market and all that <laughs> crashed very soon. But it was in between <laughs> the wars. Right. So the, World yeah. War One was over. World War Two hadn't happened yet. There was this 
this kind of optimism. You've got movies that come around. You've got, oh, amazing time in baseball. Like the 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 Yankees were amazing back in the 20s. It'd be great to, I'm not a Yankee fan, but to be able to go back and watch Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth, I mean, like mm-hmm. that would be amazing, right? And so there's a whole bunch of stuff that culture-wise and, and, and literature-wise and lifestyle-wise that I would love to see. Don't love the fact that I, I don't think they had uh, penicillin at that point. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how dentistry was, so I don't know if I would want to hang out too long in the yeah, 20s. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think maybe they were still using cocaine and Coca-Colas. I don't know. Less don't processed food, though, so your teeth might have been better. That's true. Maybe you're, you know, uh, and and I would maybe have a harder time finding food to eat uh, even in the twenties. I don't know if that that's no, possible. Uh, they got saltines in the twenties. Okay, saltines we got, and we got French fries. I think still, and pizza was around. Uh, yeah. If not, if if not, I could at least open up like the world's first pizza restaurant and make a fortune. It's but, true. Uh, that's true. Yeah. So um, no, I I think the twenties. Alan's pizza. Uh, it's it's modern enough to have all the pop culture stuff I want. Uh, but old enough to be really, really different from my life now. It's mm. a good answer. We asked, yeah, we asked this question uh, to Alyssa Coleman in a recent episode, and she said the Gilded Age, which is close to what you're talking about. But it was making me in my head, and when you were t- talking about it here too, like these would be really fun times in a city. Yes, but in a country, right. you'd be like in the country, you'd be like any other time, basically. <laughs> pretty disconnected, uh, like pretty disconnected. Yeah, fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, Graham, quiz time. So, Graham, are you ready for right. this week's quiz? Alan, Graham prepares these quizzes and they're um they're convoluted and oh, wait, they're and they're uh awesome. Graham oh, looks like go. he gave me a face when I said convoluted. So they're convoluted and they're awesome. And okay. they're incredibly difficult and barely related to your work at all, but somewhat related to your work. Good. So. I love it. I love trivia and I love convoluted quizzes. So I, I hope to bomb spectacularly. This is going to um, be great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I made the face at, at that adjective convoluted, um, not because it's not accurate, but I just wasn't expecting it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, Alan, this quiz I am naming the Way Back When quiz. Okay. Okay, this is a historical quiz, but not a historic quiz. All right, so (laughs) we are talking about some non-sensational, old-timey, mundane, salt-of-the-earth history. Good, I like it. Yeah, you ready for question one? Inevitably, there's going to be a there's going to be a seed for a story here. All right, yeah. All right, question one: Werther's Originals. Okay. All right. The uh, two- a food question. I appreciate you starting me off with a food question. Yeah, that's brutal. Let's go. But I have didn't you know eaten about a Werther's original. <laughs> I <laughs> I've never eaten a Werther's original, so I'm already starting from a deficit. No, you'll know. You'll know. All <laughs> right. The uh, tooth shatteringly sweet caramel confection that could be found in any local supermarket or grandpa's blazer pocket uh, <laughs> was first introduced in 1903 in the town of Werther. In Germany. All right. Yeah. Now, this, this candy is delicious, uh, but it can also be repurposed for a number of applications. Okay. Which of these, Alan Gratz, is the best alternative usage for Werther's original? All right. All right. A, crush them up, add water, and you'll have a nearly indestructible paste, perfect for repairing concrete foundations and interstate highways. Uh, B, Put a handful of Werther's into a handkerchief, smash it with a hammer, place the shards under your window. If you have a suspicion uh, 
that a holiday robbery might be taking place. Or if podcasters okay. are going to break into your home. Yeah, right. Worst when you're home alone. Yep. Uh, and then uh, C, uh, to offer to a particularly chatty friend who is nearby when you're trying to read a book. Hmm. Alternative uses of words. Well, I can see how that would gum up the works if and keep them quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to have to go with uh, repa- uh, repaving or repairing roads. Yeah, I think... I think that is a great answer and the correct answer. We could solve a lot of infrastructure issues if people would just focus on the Werther's. And so I have a question for you, having never eaten a Werther's original. uh, Is the act of eating a Werther's original not crushing it up and mixing it with water in your mouth and then swallowing it? Like, if you can can repair a road by crashing it, remixing it with water, and then applying it to cracks... What does that do to the inside of you as it goes through? If you're, I see what you're saying here, but I think stomach acid, uh, okay, it's just that potent somehow, somehow combats it. Okay, yes, yeah, good yeah. to know. Good to know. G- given Germany's long history of uh, autobahns and and uh, cars <laughs> and things like that, I think that the idea of a ca- of a German candy being used to repair their highways is like, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it, multitasking. Yeah, exactly. Question number two. Oh, no. Okay, question number two. Uh, The Ford Model T. All right. So while not the first commercial automobile, was certainly the most successful with its low price and speed of production. All right, question for you, Alan. What sound did the Ford Model T's horn most resemble? All right, here's your options. A. Beep, beep. All right, B. Auga. C. <laughs> bring, bring. Or oh, I see. Ooh. D. The mm. Wilhelm scream. <laughs> um, I love the Wilhelm scream. Oh, that would make people get out of the way of your car. Uh, I do yeah. think. Um, I, I don't think that the it sounded like the Roadrunner. So I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna. I, I. I. I do think that was a, a Roadrunner impersonation for A, and I liked it. So I'm, but I think it was not uh, the the Roadrunner. Um, the what do we have? The Auga. Uh-huh. Uh, Auga is really nice. Um, and uh, what was the other option C? What was that one? Bring, bring. Oh right, uh, I, I'm going to go with the bicycle bell. I think that the first horn was not a horn, but a bicycle bell. Okay, very good. It could either be B or C. Okay. Because the Ford Model T came with so many different attachments, you could pick oh. which kind of horn you want. But the Auga is like the most popular one. I can't even, I don't okay. remember what it's actually called. Okay. You know what I you, liked both of those. Is the Those are the two I narrowed it down to, you but, sussed, I, but I like it. Yeah, you sussed out the reasonable ones. You got it. Okay. All you right. know, uh, the, Ford, <laughs> the Ford Model T, you could choose what sound you wanted the bell to be, but you could choose, the only color you could choose is black. Mm, so... Right. So it was not very customizable. Henry Ford was like, they don't care about the colors. They only care about the sound of the horn. Right. He saw (laughs) the future. And all of his yes men were like, that's so smart, sir. You got it, Henry. Yeah. All right. What's question three, Graham? (laughs) Question three. Many words have fallen out of fashion in the 21st century, which, of course, naturally happens with any language. But if you could bring back one of these terms into modern vernacular, which would you choose and why? All right, and this is the first time I've gone over four for multiple choice because there's so many good words. All right, A, knickerbockers. B, chimbley. C, rapscallion. 
D. Donnybrook, E. Weisenheimer, and F. Ragamuffin. Go. Oh, those are all great words. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, can we can we hear them one more time? Just the just the list. Yep. Knickerbockers, Chimbley, Rapscallion, Donnybrook, Weisenheimer, Ragamuffin. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Weisenheimer. Uh, it was either that or Donnybrook. I love both of those words. Uh, Weisenheimer, though, it, it's got that perfect, it's got that perfect sound. It, it's a word where the, it, its meaning, its use matches the sound of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's not exactly onomatopoeia. It's not like it sounds like it It actually does in, in real life. It's one of those where it just feels like, the, the you know, you're such a Weisenheimer. I mean, like you, just the way you can say it to somebody else, just like Donnybrook. I mean, that's like, yeah, yeah are you ready for a Donnybrook? You know, and you're ready yeah, to yeah. fight somebody. But yeah, um, those are all but good I, words. I Weisenheimer for me. Yeah, all they're right, all so great words. Usually I have a pretty good, you know, handle on the correct answer here, but I think I'm going to yeah. have to consult with my podcast partner on this one. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, what do you think? Is Weisenheimer the correct answer? I think, um, I think I'll accept it. I think I'll accept okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. All right, last question. Or Auga. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We need to incorporate. Okay, that that sound block right there, Logan, pull out Alan Gratz saying Auga. It's going to become a recurring thing on this podcast. (laughs) We'll figure out where it goes. That's (laughs) All right, question four. Johnny Trapperstein, the well-known organist and organ (laughs) cabinet maker in the 1920s. Who doesn't know him? Was best known for what idiosyncrasy? A, playing his concert in a tuxedo and coonskin cap. Uh, B, as he builds his organs, he would often include a secret drawing of himself making a coy face inside. Or C, in the first documented case of this, his volume knobs and the organs he built would actually go to 11. Wow. Oh, man. I wish that was true. Um, What was his name? Uh, Johnny Trapperstein. Yeah, Johnny Trapperstein, if that is his real name. Um, True. It, it could just be a stage name. True. Uh, it, especially if he wore a coonskin hat. You know, he could be going for the whole trapper uh, thing. He also heard uh, about a criminal that was hiding as a repairman. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. I mean, I, I if I was a criminal and I was hiding out, I think organ repairman would probably be my number one go-to alias. Yeah, um, you, you're probably not thinking this... You know, you're investigating a criminal and you're like, the, the guy who makes that instrument that is played in churches, you're not going to suspect. No, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go with putting his face inside the organs. That is the correct answer. If Johnny Boom. Trapperstein was a real person, which he is not. Oh, I made this question up. I tricked everybody. <laughs> I see. I told you that was there was no way that was his real name. See, you even knew that. I, uh, the reason you were able to riff on him so much is he was so well drawn. <laughs> That's a great character. You've got a you've got a picture book in the making. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. All right. So uh, according to my count, uh, that is a perfect score on the uh, way back when quiz. Way to go. Thank you. Way back when and never been. Um, and, ne- and never been, yeah. Uh, I, I had an idea for a book series that I pitched uh, for a little while that nobody picked up. It was called The White House That Never Was. And uh, the idea was these two kids go back in time. They're in the White House. They have a time machine, the little the handheld thing. And they accidentally keep tripping to different times. And they would go to the White House when Abraham Lincoln is fighting a werewolf and uh, Teddy Roosevelt is hunting a yeti, and the in the and and uh, Andrew Jackson is like fighting moon men who've attacked, and that it's always 
you'd learn about the president, but they're always doing something that that didn't actually didn't actually happen in mm. in real life. Uh, I think that um, I, I think Steve Shinken kind of uh, stole this idea from me in some fashion. So I need to sue him. Mm. If you'll remind me, I'm going to make a note of that. <laughs> All right. Well, Alan. Have every kid listening, make sure and email Alan. Uh, to remind him to see. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I need everyone to email me and remind me because I don't get enough emails every day. <laughs> um, okay, so it is time for our word of the week. Okay. Uh, grab a piece of paper. Grab yeah. something to write with. Alan, the kids who are listening will know this, but here at Goldberry Books, we have a uh, a bookstore troll. And before season three, we had created a word of the week dictionary. We thought, you know, this is a great way to keep track of the words of the week. Have it handy, ready to go. Well, the the bookstore troll stole it. So that all of last oh, season, man. we were having to give him little uh, gifts in order for him to give us the word of the week. Well, this yeah. season, as we are preparing to do season four, Gargolehauser, which is the name that the kids voted on to to name mm-hmm. the, to name the bookstore troll, he he has disappeared. Uh, now, luckily, he's been sending us postcards. And we're trying to, you know, put all the things together to figure out where he is, where he's headed to. Yeah. Uh, so he has sent us a, um, a postcard with this week's word of the week. Uh, Graham, do you want to read this one, or should I? Uh sure. Let me let me pull it up here. All right. We've, we've got the book. We we don't, we don't look at these ahead of time. So sure, he no. Sent us a I mean, that would be cheating. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Graham. No, they just they get delivered right on time. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're just like. We we planned this for when the mailman was showing up today. I know you guys said we can't start until the mail gets here. Exactly, right. exactly. That's right. Okay, All right, take so it away. This, what is Gargolehauser yeah, telling us this time? Uh, this says, "Dear residents of Gargolehauser's attic." Okay, so <laughs> okay, right. Sure, yeah. he lives in the basement. Yeah, I get okay, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I have made it to a very dry and sandy place. Stop. Oh, he still thinks it's a. Yeah, he doesn't understand okay. postcards. Whatever. All right. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's fine, but it would be better if all this sand were mud. Stop. I beach? guess that makes sense. I have climbed giant triangles. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. No sign Sorry. of friend, but did see a trail of paper. Hmm. A paper trail, I guess. Stop. Uh, Gargs. Oh, he just he's abbreviated his own name now. Gargs. Well, maybe he ran out of characters. So, right. he's in Egypt, I guess, right? Giant triangles. It sounds like it. No, sounds like it sounds it. like it. I, would, I, would, I would call them pyramids instead of triangles, but we could. Well, he's if, a, you're, if you're just looking at them from one side, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't want to correct that. that. You don't want to correct the troll. Well, I guess he won't. No, you that. generally don't want to inter- interact with trolls at all, yeah. but I get this. I, <laughs> yeah. He is the bookstore troll. Yeah, yeah. All right. You want to peel off the. Yeah. Uh, okay, word so of the let's, week thing let's here? peel it off. Okay. So we're peeling it off. And okay. This week's word of the week is. Oh, sometimes they're quite long. Sometimes they're quite short. This is kind of in between. It is Bumbershoot. B-U-M-B-E-R-S-H-O-O-T. Bumbershoot. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a minute. We're going to write down what we think this word means. And we'll come back and reveal. We'll unveil the actual meaning. So take a minute and we'll be right back. Okay, we are back, and as is our custom, Graham will go first, then I will go, and then our special guest will go before will go before we unveil the true meaning of the word bumbershoot. So, Graham, what do you think bumbershoot means? Well, I like how David always says "as per custom" because you really realize how customs were started. Somebody somebody did something once, and then for no good reason, it always happens. So, yes, as per custom, I will go first. 
Uh, so, Bumbershoot. Okay, so when you're on a quest, right, uh, specifically for, like, pirate treasure, you have to watch out for, uh, you know, trickery and traps. And so, as you lift the lid or you get too close to the chest, uh, sometimes a trap door might open beneath you and you will fall down the Bumbershoot. Oh, very nice. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I think I got I it. I mean, it could be right. It could be right. In me, Pretty sure. It, it, yeah. 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 So I think um, it is weird how often these words sometimes are topical to our conversations with authors. And I think that in this case, the Bumbershoot is an incredibly healthy injection that a person can get when they don't prefer to eat green vegetables or fruit. Ooh. So it's like, it's a way of getting the the healthy, the the nutrition from vegetables. So you might want to consider, uh, if you're ever feeling like a little a bit shoot. unhealthy, like you might, you might want to get a Bumbershoot. But right. okay, so instead of drinking like vitamin water, you get a syringe that you have to inject yourself with. I don't. I don't. I don't make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Just sounds painful. I have to. Plan. Okay. Yeah, I'm staying um, away from the bumbershoot. Then. All right. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it is a British term for an umbrella. Okay. Are we? Are we? Are we ready to to unveil the actual meaning of it? Okay. So. A bumper shoot is Graham. Give us a drum roll. Or Logan. Auga. <laughs> Auga. A bumper shoot is. It is in fact an umbrella. So Wait, it's just an umbrella. It's an it's an umbrella. Yep. So so Alan Gratz Alan Gratz got the word of the week right. I I got it. I got the word. That's that, never happened. That might be the first time. That someone's actually gotten the word bumper. He has a he has he has the he has a record there on a sticky note, a pink sticky note with a purple pen. Looked like and he and did David knows I talked right. to him. I talked to him during the break. I did not Google it. He did not Google it. He did not. Whoa. That was from that was from Gratz. The just natural Gratz intelligence. That's right. That's right. Hey, it's all the pizza. Well, now, whenever you run into, you know, Gary Schmidt or uh, Kate DiCamillo, you can be like, yeah. hey, uh, I heard you on Withywindle and you got the word of the week wrong. But yeah, guess what? Hey, hey, hacks, I'm better at this game <laughs> yeah. than you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I'll tell them. You know, we should have uh, Gargolehauser should have known better than to uh, to use an, an old timey English word with a yeah. with the guy who writes historical fiction. That's right. I don't I don't know. I, I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we let you go, just want to ask you one more question. Do you have any advice, Alan Gratz, for uh, for young authors, for, for kids who want to be writers? I know you did say earlier that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. It's sort of how you said it. I said it in a, in a maybe a little more colorful yeah, I would, way. I would not skin a cat. I would uh, say there's a lot of different ways to write a book. But sure, go for that. That's yeah. that's all good. Yeah. But you do you have killer? any other advice besides... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> besides uh don't try to only don't try to just be alan gratz yeah i mean obviously number one be alan gratz because that's the way you're going to write the best books <laughs> uh but uh so my other advice that i always give is number one you have to read a lot which sounds really dumb because you're like well of course i'm going to read a lot because i want to write i love books but i talk to so many people especially adults and i'll be who say oh i want to write a book and i'm like great what are your favorite books to read and they're like well 
I don't read a lot of books. And I'm like, well, then you're never going to be a great writer because you have to read a ton of books so that you can start to internalize like how story works and how dialogue works and how setting works. And you can see great examples like Kate DeCamillo, like Gary Schmidt, who are not hacks and say like, oh my gosh, I wish I could write like that. And you, you, you start to, to see like the, the way that, that, that people like, sometimes I would read something that was written like in a really flowery language and, and with lots of adjectives and, and everything. And I would try to write like that and I would strike out. It would just not work. And then I would read something that was much more simpler and, 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 didn't you know? Didn't have a lot of flowery language and was just tried to lower the boom on you with a good sentence here and there. And it was like that I can do better than that. And so you start to practice, like you start to, to hear in other people's writing what works best for you. So number one, read a lot. Number two, write a lot. And that seems even dumber than the first one because you're mm-hmm. like, well, I just told you I want to be a writer, and I'm like, I know. But then when I ask a lot of people, like, what have you written? And they say, well, I don't have a lot of time to write. And I'm like, yeah but you've got to make time to write. So you have to do what my friends and I call uh, BIC, butt in chair. You have to put your butt in the chair and you have to sit down at your notebook or at your typewriter if you're Gary Schmidt or your computer if you're Alan Gratz and you have to actually write the stories. You write a story, you finish it, you revise it, right? Then you show it to your friends, to your family, and maybe they give you some feedback and you revise it again. And then you know what you do next? You do it again (laughs) and again and again. You keep writing, you keep showing it to friends and family, you keep revising. Don't worry about getting published when you're a little kid. I know that you can. I know there's ways to get your stuff out there. And certainly sharing them like as fan fiction or on sites like that is really cool. Don't worry about getting a book published by Scholastic or whoever right out of the gate. Work on getting to be a better writer and finding your voice. And the only way you do that is by practice. I often tell people, like, people don't sit around thinking, you know, someday I'm going to go to the NFL and I'm just going to sit here on this couch and think about it. Like, that's not how it works. You've got to go out. You've got to actually practice. You want to be good at basketball. You've got to go out and make layups and make free throws and practice defense. If you want to be a ballet dancer, you have to practice that. If you want to be a musician, you've got to practice that. If you want to be an artist, people will go to art galleries and sit in front of famous paintings and they'll repaint them on their own canvas, trying to imitate them. You have to do the work. You have to sit, put your butt in the chair and do the writing. So read a lot, write a lot. And then my third one isn't as dumb as the other two, but is as I have found is important. I had a professor at the University of Tennessee where I studied for creative writing. And the first day he said, right now, if you don't already, go out and buy an idea book. He said, this is just a regular notebook. It's whatever kind of notebook you like to write in, your favorite kind of notebook. And he said, this isn't going to be the book where you write your stories. You're going to do that on in a note, another notebook or on your typewriter or your computer or wherever. This is where you're going to write down all the great ideas that you have for stories, because you will have more ideas than you will ever have time to write, right? Once you start thinking like a writer, you look around you and everything turns into a story. So you fill that idea book with ideas. You fill it with great words like bumbershoot that you run into and you're like, I'm going to use that in something to win a trivia contest one day. (laughs) Or you might write down a line from somebody else's book and say like, that is awesome. And you don't write it down to copy it to steal it, you write it down to inspire you to say like, look at that amazing sentence. I'm going to do that someday. Uh, You write down all the advice you get from writing teachers and from books that you read about writing. And this is your 
it's like a craft journal. It's a, but I call it an idea book. And I've got seven or eight of them that I started. I immediately that day did what my professor said. I went to the bookstore, bought one that I really liked, started filling it, and I filled them ever since. I now use my tablet so that I can sort the notes and, and find them that way. Uh, but this was a long time ago before any of us had tablets. So I wrote it in actual physical notebooks. And uh, now those are treasures for me. I go back and find stuff that I wrote down in those all the time. And they if you start now and you're a young writer and you start in middle school, right? I mean, you'll have me beat by years hmm. when I did it, started doing it in college. So Plus I always tell people, habit. read a lot. Yeah, it's a great habit. Read a lot, write a lot, get an idea book and fill it with your great ideas. That's great advice. Um, it, this has been so much fun, Alan. We really appreciate the time, uh, the 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 answers to the questions, the advice, the the hanging out, the goofing around, um, and uh, and also the the you know you did you endured Graham's crazy quiz. So we appreciate that as well. I so. uh, yeah, I mean, I, if somebody had warned me about that, I would have said no. But um, you know, once you got me on here, I was kind of committed. Yeah, so right, that's right. why we well, don't warn anybody. I know. <laughs> yeah, and also you know, we kind of were like you were just trying to make sure that the stalking ended. So <laughs> that's the big thing for me. So right here at the end of the episode, I, I want to present you guys with a restraining order, which says you're not allowed to come within six feet of me. Uh, so uh, well, that's the end of this episode. Uh, thanks so much, Alan, for coming on. And uh, we'll, we'll be back uh, later in the episode with, with a riddle. Well, that's fine. Six feet. That's still pretty close. <laughs> All right. Well, that was that was Alan Gratz. Thanks so much to him for coming on. We had a great time. Uh, we just laughed a lot during that conversation, and hopefully you did as well. Graham, how is that? Uh, how are those four cheese pizzas you're eating over there? Well, yeah, he got me so inspired talking about pizza. I just had to, I just had to order these, and they came just in time. But you know, of course, they came fast. Uh, being in Wisconsin, uh, if you just say the word cheese, uh, oh yeah, yeah, you know, things yeah. happen. Yeah, it's just um, magic. Yeah, so like I, I just went outside earlier in the week and put a spike in the ground and like, like oil flowing up, you know, it's just cheese, yeah. the heart of Wisconsin, just cheese. So you, um, we may need to have some discussions about how cheese uh, is made, but uh, we can save that for another day. You're, you're talking about how cheese is made in other States. I'm oh, talking right. about Wisconsin. Right, right. In Wisconsin, they don't need cows. They have a res- they underground, have, man. They have cheese wells. <laughs> <laughs> some States have cheese whiz. Wisconsin has cheese wells. <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode, which means that, as always, it's time to share the answer to last week's riddle and then a new riddle. So, Graham, last week, do you remember the riddle? Uh, I remember that there was a man. Was he a king? I don't know. Uh, yeah, an old man. He had three sons. Yeah. Okay. And he wanted to leave them his fortune or his... Yep. Yep. And okay. he gave all his money to one of his sons. But he didn't want to give it to no dummy. That's right. So he set them with a task. What was that task? He gave them each a few coins and told them to buy something to fill their room. Oh, yes, yes. So the first one buys straw, but it doesn't fill it. The second one buys some sticks, but it doesn't fill it. But the third man, he does buy something that fills the room and he's the one that wins it. He buys two things. Two things, that's right. Two Two things. things. Graham, here's the answer to last week's riddle. Okay. Drum roll. The wise son brought... A candle and a box of matches. And after lighting the candle, the light filled the entire room. 
And so he won the fortune. I filled it with light. That's right. That's right. It does raise the question of whether cleverness and wisdom are the same things, but that's for another day. What if he brought... Uh... <laughs> what if he brought a, a particularly good joke and filled the room with laughter? Hmm. You know, what if he brought a hug and, and filled the room with love? Were those answers that kids left? <laughs> what if he, no. <laughs> <laughs> Did we get some good answers though? What if he brought some garlic and filled it with stink? You know, we might have to do some de- definition work on the word filled. Uh, in what if circumstances. he, <laughs> This was a hard one. I'd say it's a hard one, but there seems to be a lot of answers. So maybe it's not as hard as I thought it was initially. What if Graham came to the podcast and with his sense of humor and brought the last 20 minutes with a lot of answers to a riddle? Let's hear the next riddle. Okay. So here's this week's riddle. Okay. Picture it, Graham. You ready? Okay. Yep. There's a wealthy family. Oh. The Johannes. Mitchells, the Johannesson Mitchells. Uh, they are a wealthy family that live. Wait, is that a, hyphenated? The uh, no, it's all one word. The Johannesson Mitchells. Oh, um, wow, they are wealthy. They, <laughs> <laughs> they're rich in letters. You don't um, get that surname just by being middle class. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I don't know if I'm able to get through this one now. So. Okay, so the Johannesburg Mitchells <laughs> live in a the big... The J. Mitches. The J. Mitches. <laughs> That's right. They live in a big circular house. And in this oh, house, okay. they have a maid, a butler, and a gardener. Mm-hmm. This is extra funny Wait, because... in the house? Yeah. Your you're blanket is like covering your face, so all I see is red. <laughs> well, it's cold in Wisconsin. <laughs> is it? Yeah. So they have a maid, a butler, and a gardener. The parents of the, these kids are, are going to a party. So as one does, they, they, they tuck the younger kids into bed and kiss them goodnight and said goodbye and they kiss the older kids goodnight. And, you know, they slip out the door, they close the door, they get in the car and they drive away. The parents. Later, yeah. Later on, they pull back in the driveway. They come into the house. And Graham, what do you think they discover? I don't know. Is this a scary riddle? It depends on what you mean by scary. What do you think they discover? Uh, the house is now uh, a triangle, not a circle shape. All the kids are gone. Okay, okay, okay. The kids have been kidnapped. What? So the authorities get called in naturally. Mm-hmm. The police come rushing to the house. They begin to investigate. Okay. Naturally, they ask the butler, the maid, and the gardener what they were doing at the time of the kidnapping. The butler says he was organizing the library, as butlers do. The maid says she was dusting the corners, and the gardener says he was watering the plants. Who's lying and actually kidnapped the kids? Because the detectives believe it is one of these three people. The butler, the maid, or the gardener. Which of these three people was the actual culprit oh, in this heinous crime? I know. I got this one. That is the, uh, the riddle for this week. So if kids think they know the answers to it, what should they do? They should email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Podcasts, plural, at goldberrybooks.com. And then if you get the right answer, you will be entered into our competition and all the right answers at the end of the season will be thrown into a hat. It may or may not be figurative. Not sure yet. And out of that may possibly figurative hat, we are going to draw a name. And that name will be the winner of a bundle of books. 
So mm-hmm. it's in your best interest to try to figure out this answer and send it to us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. This is a scary one. Well, it's a good thing I had all these blankets around me so I could hide. Yeah, yeah. But it's it, it's a riddle, just to be clear. It's, no, it's, it's not real. It's not real. You're not reading this from the news. No, I didn't read a newspaper article. No. Okay, okay. That's good news. Well, Graham, yes. that brings us to the end of the third the thirth episode. <laughs> the third. <laughs> <laughs> the third kind of works. Yeah, third, three, the third the episode of the fourth season of With I Windle. Uh, thanks to alan gratz for coming on thanks to you graham for calling in from the frigid uh land of wisconsin even though it's october 5th enjoy the rest of your vacation next week we're going to be in studio together to do this once again right yeah i think so and uh, and i'll say um i got a lot of uh, good feedback on my rap uh from from that previous episode episode one at the very very end yeah Uh, Yeah. so i might try to work on some some more verses to that well, you want to just drop something here for us right now? No, 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 no. I think we need you, people aren't ready for the fire that's going to Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Come. And then Logan, we're going to beat for us, you know, for the for next week. So yeah. uh, after Logan puts in about 12, 13 hours in that beat, you better be ready to go uh, with yeah. your with your rap next week. So. I'm going to be honest. It's mostly guest versus. Um, uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it's about 99% other people. Graham uh, Pittman featuring. <laughs> Garglehauser. <laughs> Featuring Garglehauser from somewhere else. You know what? All right. We should actually make a ridiculous song and put it on Spotify. That's what we should really do. <laughs> the Withy the Withy Windle. Uh, we we'll have to come up with a clever name for that. I've had some kids yeah. could help us with this. Uh, most definitely could come up with some clever some clever names for this song. Um, all right, Graham. <laughs> That's the end. Enjoy your vacation. Until next time, happy reading. Goodbye. Goodbye.